This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who's proud to bring you the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves. Look for it on comic store shelves this March. Hey there, this is Ryan Dorton, and when I'm not busy having sex, I'm listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and somebody who is not Matt Bond. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 104 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 20th. I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not petitioning the Academy to add a Best Podcast category to the Oscars, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at GoodPlusComic.com. I'm Keith Silva, Keith PM Silva on Twitter, and when I'm not trying to find off-brand aftermarket Dr. Fish for Joe's pedicure so we can slide those tootsies into a pair of $14,000 Manolo Blahnik alligator boots to get them ready for the red carpet, I write for ComicsBulletin.com, my own blog, Interested in Sophisticated Fun, and I'm one of the regrettably named love slaves, gross, here at THN. There's nothing to regret, Keith. This week, you'll hear reviews of Nova number 1 and Captain Marvel number 10, after that, we'll review ten more comics so fast the orchestra won't have time to play Johnny Greenwood's score to the master in all its dissonant glory during the ludicrous speed round, and we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where past winners for the Oscar for the best sound editing will whisper in our ears and allow us to learn the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll prove we can read a book with more than 20 pages when we review Warren Ellis's Global Frequency during our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to all that pomp and pageantry, let's get the self-righteous smirks and nerd indignation over Avengers not being nominated for Best Picture out of the way. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Joe Patrick can sleep well now. Not only has he found a new co-host for his internet-famous podcast, but DC Comics has announced the new creative lineups for all its Green Lantern-like titles. No evil shall escape the sight of the new team of writer Robert Venditti and artist Billy Tan, who take over on Green Lantern. Writer Joshua L. Filkov of the recently canceled I, Vampire and Bernard Chang of Demon Knights will help helm Green Lantern Corps. Filkov will also bring the blood-spewing hate to Red Lanterns. Gross! Well, Alessandro Vitti, Secret Warriors, Avengers Arena, will get red in the face, handling art duties. Brad Walker of Action Comics was announced as the artist of Green Lantern New Guardians, and that's where DC will try yet again to see if they can finally find a fit for Wunderkind Justin Jordan. <laughs> and in a surprise edition, DC announced a new LaFreeze title by Keith Giffen and Scott Collins. Joe, on last week's long-lamented, literal-centric episode, you cried real tears, I believe, I believe them, when you heard that Lantern Baby Daddy Johns was leaving the main title he has helmed for the last 100 issues. I don't have a Lantern in this fight, so how are you feeling about these announcements? Uh, well, it's not quite the bold new direction I was hoping for. <laughs> uh, I, have, I, I am excited uh, to see Robert Venditti get another title. Uh, they were going to give him Hellblazer before they shuffled him off to the side in favor of Jeff Lemire. I, I think that uh, he's bringing the goods to uh, Exo Manowar right now for Valiant, and I think that he might have a nice take on the Green Lantern uh, mythos. I am not excited for Billy Tan. I'm not a fan. Uh, he did a lot of Marvel work in the past. He's In fact, he's primarily known for his Marvel work, okay. and I am uh, not a fan of it, but, you know, we'll see. I'll give anybody a chance. 
Uh, I like that Joshua Hale Fieldkov is getting uh, some more work as well. Green Lantern Corps, I think, will be a good fit for him. And uh, I, it's nice to see him writing Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns just to kind of have some consistency in the line, you know, rather okay. than have each book by a different guy. Uh, I like Bar- Bernard Chang a lot. I think he's a great addition. Uh, it, really, the the for the most part, I think the art additions are great. Brad Walker, I love. Uh, to have him on New Guardians uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Justin Jordan, I know he's got it in him. I know that his <laughs> DC work has not like lit the people's hearts on fire, but the Legend of Luther Strode is so good. Like I yeah. know, I know he's got a good book in him. Uh, hopefully. New Guardians is that book. Joe, let me interrupt just for a second, because I am curious. You have been a big supporter of Justin Jordan in these DC things. And when I heard that he was put on this book, I thought they're just, it's like, we're going to try to fit this square peg into this round hole or, or, or whatever. I mean, this guy, yeah. he deserves it. I, I love Legend of Luther Strode. I loved Luther Strode. I thought Shadow Man is good. I just want to see the Justin Jordan that writes Strange Town of Luther Strode come out again and look i don't know enough about these lantern books to know that this is the book that's going to do it well tonally it's certainly very very different than any of his other work and i understand your your hesitation there but i i don't feel that they've given him the material to to do his best work and really luther strode is the only other thing we've seen him write other than these other than having him pick up the slack from these liefeld books and the uh, dearly Departed Team 7, which has already <laughs> been canceled. I'd like to see him try you know, this, because at least it's something different. Maybe it'll show us what he's capable of beyond you know, the ultra-violent Luther Strode stuff. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is that makes me excited. I, I like the idea that he's getting a chance to spread his wings, if you will. Yeah, I think we're pulling for this guy, right? I mean, yeah, we absolutely. want we, we want Justin Jordan to succeed. We want other people who may have passed on Luther Strode for whatever reason to say, yeah, this is why uh, this guy is great. Now, every week I listen to you guys faithfully while well, we're required to uh, in the THN Love Slave Pit. <laughs> That's the only thing you guys leave on for us. <laughs> and and um, I listen to you, uh, Keith Giffen Bash, uh, from week to week. Or no, Bash isn't fair. That That's not fair. You want to see something different? This is not different. It's not different. And the thing is, is that I like Keith Giffen. I, I don't dislike Keith Giffen. Uh, it's just that <clears throat> I feel like they lean on Keith Giffen because he's the mm-hmm. guy that's there that will do the work. Right. A- instead of going out and, and fostering new talent. Uh, Keith Giffen is not for everybody, and I understand that, but I've always been a fan of his work. When I when I say that I don't want to see Keith Giffen on yet another book, it's because it just means that DC didn't... It makes it feel like DC didn't try. Right. They're going after a veteran, the guy they've always gone after, the go-to sort of guy, and there's nothing new. You're not seeing that new name, or you're not seeing someone where you say, oh, okay, yeah, I could see this. Right. Uh, the the LaFreeze character, that is the new... Uh, African American Green Lantern, correct? No, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Larflees, Larflees is Larflees. is the Orange Lantern, the the oh, okay. kind of snout faced, uh, uh, the guy that's all about greed oh, and avarice. Cut that out, Matt. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that just illustrates my point. I don't need a Larflees title either. It, gotcha. Why are we Why are we flooding the market with a book? 
with a one-note character. He works great in the background as a supporting character, as somebody for our heroes to kind of butt heads against. But there is no way that Larflees can support an ongoing title. Now, prove me wrong. I dare you, DC, to prove me wrong. But I, this just doesn't seem like exciting news. I, you know, I'm always glad for these guys to get the work. I like Scott Collins, but a Larflees title... When they, when they say we're going to cancel these titles at DC that aren't working, Team 7, Sword of Sorcery, whatever, whatever, Larflees is not a replacement book that gets my juices flowing. Uh, and apparently I have no juices when it comes to uh, Larflees. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> In other DC news, the publisher has announced that Bill Willingham's corner of the Vertigo universe will grow once again with the release of two new Fables projects sometime in the future. First up is the Fables Encyclopedia by comic book scholar Jess Nevins, which will tell both classic literary histories of the cast and their Fables continuity histories, along with commentary by the Fables creative team of Willingham and artist Mark Buckingham. Also announced the Fables, Fairest of Them All original graphic novel, an anthology featuring stories starring the cast of Fairest, the Fable spinoff, told from the point of view of the Magic Mirror. Adam Hughes, Chrissy Zullo, Carl Kershaw, and Mark Chiarello are the first confirmed artistic contributors. Think of something along the lines of the 1001 Nights of Snowfall graphic novel from some years ago. Now, I'm a huge fan of the Fable series, so I can't wait for these books, especially the encyclopedia. I love handbooks, Keith. Anything where there are a bunch of words explaining something that happened in a comic, (laughs) I want it. What do you think? Like, are you a Fables fan? Do you read that book at all? Uh, I don't read Fables, and Fables has felt sort of like an Everest to me. Getting back in, you see, oh, hey, this looks really cool. I am an old-school Bill Willingham fan. Uh, I used to read Comico's The Elementals. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, Elementals 2 or 3 is the first time I saw comic book nudity. Oh, man. So I have, I have to thank Bill Willingham for that. It was all uh, downhill from there. <laughs> this, maybe this is my fables. I love Carl Kirschel. Uh, Adam Hughes is excellent. Uh, so this might be my chance uh, to get into fables. So, Joe, if you can suggest something, you know, start here. Uh, I'm all ears. Well, I mean, I know it's daunting, but really fables has built from the beginning. That's never really something somebody wants to hear when they say, where's a good jumping on point for this? Well, I'm sorry. It's volume one of 17. (laughs) So (laughs) happy reading. Uh, But I I do love, I love Fables. And I think they actually just build, I believe they just build issue 125. Not the issue that came this week, but the one right before it. Yep. As a jumping on point. Okay. Uh, a new storyline at the very least. And so I, I recommend Fables to anybody that's a fan, uh, especially if you are, are you know, an adult with, with an appreciation for those old tales. Right. You know, not necessarily the storybook versions, but like the grim, you know, the darker versions. Oh, yeah. Fables is a wonderful, wonderful series full of great characters. Believe it or not, we're going to hear a lot more about it uh, during this podcast when the question of the week comes up. But I'm excited for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great place to to jump on, maybe with this one or with another one. And uh, I do love those stories as well. I do think that they are going to have to change the name uh, of Vertigo to just Fables, because that's the only title <laughs> that are on there. Uh, they, like, yeah, they definitely need another 
I mean, they need another Fables, if you will. They <laughs> One need, other title. <laughs> they need a, they need another Preacher. They need another Transmetropolitan. They need another anything. From all accounts, you know, they keep saying that there's a lot of exciting stuff coming. Exciting stuff coming, and so hopefully, we get some announcements in the coming year, perhaps during uh, Comic Con, that Vertigo is going to have something really fun to offer in the months ahead. Yeah, some things. Some things. <laughs> Finally. Mark Wade posted on his website that this spring he will be lending his talents to the first comics-related massive online course, or mock. If you have an internet connection, congratulations! You moved to the head of the class, dummy! There's no <laughs> obligation, no cost, what? and all you have to do is take 30 seconds to enroll. The course is called Gender Through Comic Books, and it is taught by Ball State adjunct professor, doctoral candidate, Christy Blanche. But wait! There's more. Along with Wade, Blanche has signed up heavy hitters Brian K. Period Vaughn, oh, yes. Gail Simone, Scott Snyder, and Terry Moore. Joe, do you want to pause our recording for about 30 seconds and sign up for this class? Well, on one hand, I am thrilled at the idea of being able to take a class like this. <laughs> the other hand is that I don't ever want to do another second of homework ever again. <laughs> That Scott Snyder is a real bear. I know. know like, listen, I just asked for a one-day extension, Scott Snyder. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Uh, in all seriousness, I think that this is an amazing idea. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that this is phenomenal. And this Christy Blanche, what a genius idea. This is something that comic fans especially will jump at in droves. I read a little bit about it, and they were talking about like a, a class size in the thousands. Yep. Yep. That's which what leads these mocks are. Which leads me to believe that you know there's not some poor TA grading papers <laughs> for a month, you know. But I, I don't know exactly what it entails or how how it all works. But the idea is genius, and uh, just the notion that there might be other classes like this in the future. You know, maybe. Maybe an art class, you know, where uh, there's just video lectures with David Aja or Keith Giffen, because he's the only <laughs> name I can think of right now. Uh, one thing that strikes me about this is uh, it's a story about it's a class about gender in comic books. Sure. Uh, a bit of a hot topic right now. A hot topic, but also something that doesn't leap to mind when you think about uh, comics. It's one of those, oh, right. you know, do we have to talk about gender? Right. And I, sure. think, <laughs> I think the other thing that uh, is really amazing is, you know, I'm sure these things are online. You're going to be able to hear what Brian Vaughn has to say. You're going to be able to hear it. And then you can just step out. I, I don't think, uh, you know, you're going to get to wear the dunce cap uh, if you don't show up to a class. Yeah, there's no, no one's going to call you out for a snoozing during a lecture. <laughs> right, right, right. The other thing, and maybe in the show notes, they did a YouTube video announcing it that's narrated by Stan Lee. Oh, uh, was, yes, I watched it. Yes. It was, it was charming. The, yeah, it was on the Comics Alliance uh, website where, where I got the story. So. Yeah, I will yeah, post a link out. to that video in the show notes for sure. I think it's definitely worth checking out because, I mean, what can, you, what can you lose? It's free, and it will take no time to sign up. And even if you're not really interested in the subject matter, though it is very important and you should be, mm -hmm. absolutely. just the idea of being able to sit in on a lecture by Brian K. Vaughn or Mark Wade or Gail Simone, Terry Moore, I mean, 
that's the kind of opportunity that just doesn't come around. And if you are a comics fan, and if you're especially interested in the craft of writing, yep. uh, and uh, or just the craft in general, like how comics are made and how characters are formed, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. And I'm yeah. definitely going to look into it a little bit more. If you're interested, I will have a link to the video in the show notes. I highly recommend you guys check it out. This is a cool idea, and I hope we see more of this kind of thing in the future. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're assembling our own mock with the help of the Dean of Antiquities, Aaron Myers, Head of Gynecology, John Littrell, and Professor of Cool, TD Dubs. He's Joe Patrick 116 on Twitter, but he's number one in your heart. And each week, he posts the THN Question of the Week on Facebook and Twitter, and we read your responses right here on this very podcast machine. This week's question is, in honor of this week's return of Kill Shakespeare, who is your favorite comic character from the world of literature? Joe, what are these English grad school nerds saying? (laughs) Starting with Twitter, Dwight Lewis writes, I have to go with Hyde from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. At first, it seemed like a generic strongman, but then Alan Moore revealed him to be a monster on the inside as well as the out. Terrifying reveal and a cool character. Yeah, I have to agree. (laughs) There's a scene in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Volume 2, where Hyde runs afoul of the Invisible Man, and not in a good way. And that has scarred me for life. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that as well. That's great. Brian DuPont writes, Zorro. He inspired Batman, and the original author was from his hometown. The comic has the same sense of adventure and humor as his other media versions. The same hometown as Brian, not Batman. (laughs) Moving over to Facebook, Wade Lyle says, Frankenstein, especially when he's working for Shade. So sad it was canceled. It's true. The Frankenstein book, I, uh, man, wish more people read it, but it's a great character. Matt Damon writes, welcome aboard, Matt, if we didn't say it already. The cast of the first two League of Extraordinary Gentlemen volumes, what a terrific mashup and reimagining of some classics. Yeah, Hyde wasn't the only one. You had an awesome uh, Captain Nemo, totally badass Captain Nemo, uh, Mina Murray. What's under that scarf? Yeah, All of them. They're fantastic. Yeah, I love those first two volumes. They are great. And finally, the King of Askinerd, Aaron Myers, writes, (laughs) The best... First and foremost that comes to mind is the Leviathan featured in the Unwritten. Leviathan is the glue that keeps reality together, the builder of the world of story and the linchpin of reality. It's my favorite literary figure in comics. A bit of a stretch, Aaron Myers, but I'll give it to you. Uh, The Leviathan is a comic book character from all stories, so you get points on a technicality. Well, he is the king of Askinerd, so... That's right. That's right. Great answer so far, guys. We'll check back again later in the show. It's review time on THN, where Keith and I nominate two of this week's new comics and see if they're worthy of taking home the tiny, naked, golden man. Keith, what book gets your Oscar nod this week? My book is Captain Marvel number 10 from Marvel Comics, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, art by Philippe Andrade, and colors by Jordi Belair. Here's your solicit. Grounded! Bullet! Captain Marvel, lover of flight, can fly no longer! Bullet! 
What keeps the superhero from being super heroic? And who wants her to stay that way? Bullet! Find out why Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel is one of the fan favorite characters of the year. Oh, I love this comic. Uh, I came on board with issue nine uh, when I read a post by Jessica Boyd on Comic Cossity. Uh, she is Charming Red on Twitter. Follow her. She is the Aaron Myers of female comic book readers. A charming woman. Wonderful, wonderful woman. Her article talked about this cult following that was developing around Captain Marvel. People are knitting hats. They're making dog tags, ID cards. It's crazy. Uh, so I wrote a re review of issue nine for my blog, and I, I am not a big Marvel reader. I don't read a lot of Marvel or DC titles. This comic actually blew me away. I have no connection to Captain Marvel whatsoever. And the thing I came away from and I wrote about in my blog was that this felt like a creator-owned comic. Yeah. Kelly, Kelly Sue DeConnick, this is, she is doing her own thing with this one. In this issue, in issue 10, there's some super heroic stuff. She picks up a train. She does uh, some other stuff. But she's also interacting with her neighbors, the people in her building. There is an absolutely charming bit with a little girl that lives in her building oh, as well. Oh, that was adorable. Yes, absolutely. And then Captain America shows up on this kick-ass flying motorcycle <laughs> uh, with uh, Carol Danvers' new assistant, who everyone agrees is awesome. The big thing for me is Captain Marvel is so idiosyncratic, so personal, and it feels so unmessed around with. That's why I really feel that uh, creator-owned vibe uh, from this book. Deconic is joined by Christopher Sabella on this issue, but this is the story that Deconic wants to tell, and that's when great art happens. Speaking of which, Joseph, Philippe Andre's art is a revelation here. Oh, yeah. And paired with Soul Sister number one, Jody Belair on covers, <laughs> the art team of Captain Marvel is a match made in the heavens. Andre's art is sinewy and elastic. His figures stretch and twist and create this hyper-real kind of superhero. He is a visionary creator, and I can't get enough. Joe, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second, uh, so bear with me. I've been writing a co weekly column on Comics Bulletin about Bill Sienkiewicz's New Mutants. It wraps in a couple of weeks. And like Sienkiewicz, there is only one Philippe Andre. He has an inimitable style that is strictly his. And to me, that's what I want to see in an artist. Art is personal, and I don't understand why artists with such distinctive style as Andre's come with caveats and warnings. This might look a little different than you're used to. I am so tired of that. Andre's art is why I'm buying Captain Marvel and why I'm going to keep buying Captain Marvel. There's a reason why artists like Sienkiewicz, Walt Simonson, Steve Ditko, and Jack Kirby become legends. It's because their art looks like they drew it and nobody else could or does. And as fans and critics, we need to embrace that and stop making excuses when things are a little different. That's fair enough, Keith. And the reason I wasn't reading Captain Marvel was because the art at the time did not fit with what I thought the character should be or how the character should be depicted. I wasn't a fan of the original artist, Dexter Soy. Dexter Soy, yep. Uh, I thought it was a, an, a, an ill fit for Captain Marvel. But I love Captain Marvel, the character. And unlike mm. you, I am a huge Marvel fan, and I'm a huge Carol Danvers fan, and I'm happy that she's got her own book. I liked her old book written by Brian Reed mm -hmm. uh, back when she was still Ms. Marvel, and I really wanted to love this one. I just wasn't enthused about it from the jump to keep up. Now, mm -hmm. I would like to go back and revisit it. We're only on number 10, but I picked up this issue to read it with you, and I loved it. 
I I love Philippe Andrade. Uh, I've seen his work elsewhere. I believe the last time I saw it, the backup stories in okay. Ed Brubaker's Captain America, when <laughs> they reintroduced, you're not going to understand a word of this, when they reintroduced <laughs> the female Bucky from Heroes Reborn. Sure. And oh, she, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so she was. She adopted the identity of Nomad, and there were Nomad backup stories, and then she appeared uh, in another series. Uh, I believe Philippe Andrade drew those backup stories, and I loved him even then. And his art has only gotten better, and when you pair him with Jordi Belair, who is a monster, oh, my lord, it's gorgeous. Uh, I'm going to tell you what. The first time I ever took notice of Jordi Belair was the first issue of the current run of Journey into Mystery after Kid okay, Loki, yeah, yeah. after Kid Loki went away and Sif took over. Yep, yep, yep. That was one of the most beautifully colored comics I have ever laid eyes on, and she does a great job here. Absolutely, I mean she's doing stuff at Magic Hour. The sky is orange and pink and just glorious. There's this battle, and I, I could care less who <laughs> Captain Marvel is fighting. I mean, sure. you know, the art is beautiful, and I get it, and and all that, but. Uh, Belair's colors are amazing. I just want one last thing. I did read, uh, they have a letter column in the back, Rap with Cap. Uh, <laughs> which is I, a great title. Well, which is, is a great title. And I couldn't help reading the letter columns. I don't know, Joe, if you like to read the letter columns. Uh, uh, on occasion, I do. I did not read this one. Uh, there's an interesting letter there, and I couldn't help drawing a connection to Sienkiewicz, because when Sienkiewicz took over New Mutants, there were as many letters saying, we love you, and this is amazing, and it's, you know, blew my hair back. As people had said, you know, this guy should go away. My kid could draw that. Sure. Same, same thing that came out of Andre. And uh, someone just saying, I love Captain Marvel. I love this title. Please go back to Dexter Soy. This guy is awful. Ugh. And, you know, art, it, it's idiosyncratic, Joe. I can't tell you uh, that you have to like this artist or you don't have to like that artist or why you don't like it. But, uh, you know, I love where this title is heading. I love what they're doing with this. And, uh, yeah, I'm on board. It's a huge buy-it for me. It's yeah. And I agree uh, 100% about the art. One last thing about it. I say the same thing. We talk about it a lot on the show, that art that's not for you is not necessarily the same thing as bad art. Right. Uh, Juan, Juan Jose Rip, who is uh, formerly an Avatar artist that's now doing uh, a thing here and there at DC. Yeah. I, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of his art. But I look at it and I see that it is just very, very well done, well composed, uh, thoughtful art. And I know that the man is talented. I just don't care for his style. That doesn't make it bad. I didn't care for Dexter Soy. I love Philippe Andrade. I'm on board for the rest. This gets a buy it from me as well. Joe, what are you reviewing this week? My pick was Nova, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Loeb, with pencils by Ed McGinnis, inks by Dexter Vines, and colors by Marte Gracia. Here's your solicit. The Human Rocket Returns! You followed him through the history-making and changing Avix, and now the mysteries of the all-new Nova are revealed in this breathtaking new ongoing series by the best-selling, award-winning team of Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. Sam Alexander is a kid bound by the gravity of a small town and a father whose ridiculous drunken fairy tales about a Nova Corps were just another heavy burden in a life full of them. But luckily for Sam Alexander, soon gravity won't even matter, and those troubles... It's like they're a billion miles away. Now, I have said it before, and I will say it again. I am a huge fan of Nova, specifically the original Nova, Rich Rider. 
so I was hesitant to say the very least to hear that Marvel was relaunching the title with a new lead character with Jeff Loeb at the helm. I was pleased to find out, though, that not everything I loved about Nova has been forgotten, and I was left with the hope that the questions I have will be answered in time and a greater appreciation for the new Nova, Sam Alexander. This new Nova has already appeared a few times, but this issue takes place uh, months back, giving us our first proper introduction to the character and filling in some backstory that has been lacking until now. The issue begins with Sam's father, Jesse, telling crazy tales of wild space adventures with the Nova Corps to Sam and his young sister. While the rest of the family sees Jesse as a hero, Sam only sees a drunken janitor that keeps disappearing on his family. By the end of this issue, Sam discovers that his father's stories may not have been so crazy after all. <gasps> and now, I've been very critical of Jeff Loeb's writing in recent years, but I have to say that aside from some moments of cheesy dialogue, he does a great job with this issue. The action, I felt, was paced well, the relationships between the characters feel genuine, and I think Loeb especially shines in the scenes with Jesse's interactions with his children. I imagine the father-son dynamic has a greater significance to Loeb. Uh, Nova's lead character, Sam, is named for Loeb's own son, who passed away from bone cancer in 2005. Uh, the real star of this issue, though, is the art team of Ed McGuinness, Dexter Vines, and Marte Gracia. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. With thrilling action scenes, well-designed characters, and a fun Easter egg in the form of a surprise appearance by the principal from Back to the Future, it was pretty great. If I had one real complaint about Nova number one, it would be that it moves kind of slowly. Uh, we already know Sam will be the new Nova. In fact, he's appeared two or three times already as Nova. And this issue ends still in mid-flashback. However... I don't really mind the slower pace here because I think the background information we're getting about Sam's family, especially his father, is essential. One other quibble that may get explained later, there's a weird bit of timeline confusion where uh, Sam's dad refers to the Guardians of the Galaxy in a story set more than a decade before the current incarnation, the, uh, the Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning Guardians of the Galaxy were formed. Uh, hopefully this gets explained in a satisfying way. I, uh, yes, it's a, I am a continuity wonk. Uh, I'll probably get over it, but I do hope they explain it. Overall, I was a little hesitant about this relaunch and ended up being very pleasantly surprised. I'm giving it a buy it. Keith, what did you think? I've got to buy it on this one as well, Joe. I don't have the, the storied history uh, of Nova that you do. I remember Nova as being kind of a joke when I was first collecting comics. You know, you could find them in the quarter bins. Uh, but I love, love, love Rocket Raccoon. I have the original <laughs> miniseries uh, that was drawn by Mike Mignola. Oh, and, and that's, a beautiful, by, uh, that's a beautiful comic. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, written by Bill Mantlo. Oh, yes. Uh, the first thing that happened to me when I opened this comic is I said, oh, Marvel has movies on the mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that opening title card, is it, it looks like a, a poster from a movie. I yep. mean, this is, this is the beginning of the Guardians of the Galaxy push. Uh, you know, that movie comes out in two years. Yeah, I Not think next year, but I, the following year. Yeah, no, I think it's 2014. I think it's next okay. year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think they've got their mind on that big time. Joe, the one question I had about this was it had this feeling to me like this was a uh, workshop, like there was a, a lot of care that went into it, focus groups uh, for, for sort of maximum enjoyment. I almost thought of it like a Pixar movie, and, and that's a compliment. 
What I mean is there seem to be things for the old fans, little winks and nods, sure. like in those Pixar movies. And then also, you know, things for the newbies like myself who come in and say, I don't know who Sam is. This first issue felt like the 15, first 15 minutes of a movie. I didn't find the pacing slow. I found that it moved right along. Uh, and, and, you know, I felt of it like a well-done uh, kids movie. Again, not a knock, just how well it was put together. The pacing was excellent, as you said. And those jumps back and forth. You know, I don't know none of that. So uh, to <laughs> sure. me, I'm like, who cares? It's it's, oh, yeah, it's totally. all good. Well, you know, I would say perhaps maybe when I look at uh, stuff like The Incredibles and Brave and yep. uh, Monsters, Inc., surely the primary demographic is children. But to me, that is the perfect definition of something that is truly for all ages. Yep. General audience. Absolutely. And, and that's how I felt about this. And maybe you're right. Maybe it was, you know, workshopped and, and fine-tuned for maximum likability. <laughs> like, in the opening scene of of Jesse's story, where they're on the ship fighting, right, and there's, right. there's the other Novas in the, in the ship with him. And there's the cute little starfish-looking one that's flying <laughs> through the air, and he's saying something like, gleep, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, that's, that's <laughs> silly. But... Right. You know, I, I love the imagination, and I love all of the the things that Loeb and McGinnis have added to this. Uh, I really liked this a lot. I was expecting to be let down by it, to be perfectly honest. So when it delivered something as fun as it did, I was very, very happy. And I'm looking forward to more, and I'm, it's made me especially excited for what is coming from the other corners of the Marvel Cosmic Universe, which we will talk about a little later on. One, two, three, four. So that's a double buy it for both Captain Marvel number 10 and Nova number one. Of course, we want to know what you cocksure assistants and drunken janitors thought of these comics. So share your opinions with us over at the comment section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Now it's time for me and Keith to review 10 comics so fast it'll make Daniel Day-Lewis forget his entire acceptance speech. The Oscar Orchestra wouldn't dare to play us off the stage during the ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Conan the Barbarian, number 13 from Dark Horse. This is the first part of a new arc called The Woman on the Wall. The former co-host of this program, The Drummer, drummer. has been telling all of you barbarians to ride along with the series... So as a tribute to that former Fauxhawks co-host, I raise a goblet to Crom and to Brian Wood, who makes the series more compelling with every issue. The reason to pick up issue 13 is artist Mirko Kolak. This is Conan the Brawler, the Beast, and the Barbarian. Conan is conscripted into a war he did not start, but he plans to finish. Kolak brings the fight to Conan the Barbarian, and if the final page does not make you want to hit something, then I'm sure there's a book about magical ponies you can read instead. <laughs> Fancy boy, buy it. Alpha, big time, number one, from Marvel! This is an unnecessary spin-off from a storyline I didn't care for in the first place. Joshua Hale Fielkov and Nuno Pilati, though they do a fine job with this issue, didn't add anything different enough to make me care about Alpha. The most interesting thing about it is that Doc Ock as Peter Parker is messing with Alpha's powers for nefarious purposes, which is kind of funny. But there's not enough here for me to stick with it. I'm giving it a leave it. Black Beetle, no way out, number two from Dark Horse. Like the auteurs of yesteryear, artist and author Franco Francavilla only needs a page and a couple of panels to catch readers up on this story and the one shot that preceded it, Night Ship. 
Francovia is a master craftsman with an under-the-fingernails kind of knowledge of the rhythms of pulp and serialized storytelling. Issue 2 provides rats in the walls, trapdoors, and the official introduction of the Black Beetle's bet noir, Labrintho. There is no prettier or pulpier pamphlet out there. Buy it. Justice League of America number one from DC! I was pleasantly surprised by this first issue from Jeff Johns and David Finch. Finch's art is terribly inconsistent. Like, terribly, terribly inconsistent. But I really enjoyed the script. Uh, John saves this from being a typical team-building issue by setting it from the perspective of their government handlers rather than the heroes themselves. There are a lot of intriguing mysteries set up here, and I was happy to see Amanda Waller looking much more like CCH Pounder than the generic model she's been portrayed as since the New 52 began. This one's a buy it. Baltimore, the Widow and the Tank from Dark Horse. This is Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden on a double shot, one and done. The art by Ben Stenbeck is Mignola S, very confident, but nothing distinct. Both stories have their merits, and there's an interesting twist in the second story that suffers due to its shortened length. I'd be surprised if you'd remember what happens a few days after you read this comic. The Widow in the Tank has everything in a Baltimore story that you want and nothing you need. Leave it. Justice League of America's vibe, number one, from DC. What? Yeah. Well-written, well-paced, and well-drawn, Jeff Johns, Andrew Kreisberg, and Pete Woods have come up with a new take on a ridiculous character that is fun and compelling. The book literally no one actually asked for (laughs) is actually pretty good. I can't believe I'm saying this. But buy it. It Girl in the Atomics, number seven from Image Comics. The Fab Four, writer Jamie S. Rich, artist Mike Norton, my main man, Alan Pasolacqua on colors, and Crank on letters, return for this latest It Girl in the Atomics extravaganza. It Girl is sent on a mission to the Alps to retrieve a kidnapped scientist who looks a lot like Bill Murray in the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> Rich writes some crackerjack sequences that give Norton a chance to draw It Girl as light as a feather and stiff as a cast iron radiator. It Girl is such a likable character, and Rich is clearly smitten and having a nitrous-fueled blast, coming up with all sorts of scenarios that play off It Girl's power and her role as a hero. Month to month, no comic has more joie de vivre and more heart than It Girl in the Atomics. Not to mention, Rich has great taste in who he chooses to blurb his book. Buy it. (laughs) Six Gun, Sons of the Gun, number one from Oni Press. Brian Chirilla joins Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt for this solo tale of bloodthirsty Bill Sumter, one of the murderous henchmen of General Hume. This was a great addition to the main Sixth Gun saga, and it's essential reading for fans of the series. I also recommend it for readers that are curious about the series. It uh, doesn't have a whole lot of continuity from the main title that you need to, to worry about. It's just a great tale about a supernatural western badass Uh, This was awesome. I'm giving it a buy it. Kill Shakespeare. Tide of Blood number one from IDW. Writers Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole bring back the Bard's Best in this first of five issues that follows up on the previous Kill Shakespeare maxi-series. Artist Andy Belanger returns as well and is joined by colorist Shari Shankhama. Tide of Blood has more in common with Game of Thrones than it does with Iambic Pentameter. These writers get Shakespeare. The puns, the adventure, the intrigue. Del Cole and McCreary play with the reader's expectations. Sure, there's some these and thous to navigate, but don't let such stuff put you off. Belanger has a singular style that sets him apart from his peers. His art is like a Tony Iommi guitar solo, deep, dark, but with a sense of humor that one only gets from laughing in the face of angels. And watch out for wow. Shankama on colors. She is fierce and wonderful discovery and makes this number one number one. Buy it. 
G.I. Joe number one from IDW. This is the upteenth relaunch of the G.I. Joe franchise from IDW alone. That's not counting anything that happened at Image. But this time, Fred Van Lente is on board with the writing duties. The existence of the Joe team has been outed to the public by Cobra, so now they have the additional burden of catering to the public perception to deal with. Van Linty delivers a fun script here for the most part. The art is okay, but not great. Overall, though, I had a good time with this one, and that's really all I look for in a G.I. Joe comic. I'm giving this one a Yo-Jo. And knowing is half the battle. That is your ludicrous speed round, and Abba 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 is the sound of young Cisco Ramon taking the fight to a parademon in the pages of this week's Justice League of America's vibe number one. It only gets more ridiculous the more you say it. Breaking glass, causing involuntary bowel movements, and subduing alien symbiotes. Sound is a powerful tool with many useful applications. That's why we've kidnapped the past 30 years worth of winners for the Academy Award for Best Sound Editing to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Their collective audio genius will find the perfect pitch that pierces the veil of time and space, thus allowing us to behold the secrets of next week's comics. Keith, that's a long way to go for that joke. <laughs> What have these nerds' audio experiments revealed to you? Joe, next week, I am looking forward to Massive Number 9 from Dark Horse, the latest arc, subcontinental, and a showcase for George, who seems to be nothing short of a maniac. If you are still waiting on the shore for the Massive, like some landlubbers who I happen to be speaking with right now, get some intestinal fortitude and get on board. It's on my to-do list. Joe, what has that silver-tongued devil, Ben Burt, whispered into your face holes? My pick for next week is Guardians of the Galaxy, number 0.1, from Marvel Comics by B.M. Bendis and Steve McNiven. As with Nova, I'm a huge Guardians fan, and I'm excited to see... Bendis and McNiven shine a huge spotlight on the little title that could. It definitely looks like they're going for a more cinematic feel, which I am sure is no accident considering the upcoming film. But I think it suits this concept well, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the creative team can do with this one. The THN graphic novel pick of the week is the Nemo Heart of Ice hardcover from Top Shelf by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. I won't lie, it's been a good long while since I gave up on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but this original graphic novel harkens back to the original crew and the daughter of Captain Nemo. According to the solicitations, it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Citizen Kane crossover I never knew I wanted. <laughs> Give it a look on the shelves of your local comic book shop next week. We want to know what you're looking forward to next week, so be sure to void your bowels over at our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash nerd. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comicast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels. 
Be on the lookout for the March return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended in 2007. Get to your local comic shop and pre-order your copy today, right now. I demand it. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks once again to Ape Entertainment for sponsoring THN. And if you'd like more information about sponsoring the show, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. Hark! What light from yonder window breaks? It is fair Joe Patrick with more answers to the question of the week. Oh, I bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> Andy Peters says his favorite is the Mad Hatter. Since I both love Batman and Alice in Wonderland, he was an easy choice. Unless you don't count Alice in Wonderland as literature, <laughs> in which case I need to start all over at life. Andy, I think you're safe. We count it, Andy. Stephen Kohler offers up a vote for Cthulhu and the rest of H.P. Lovecraft's creations, saying, I feel we wouldn't have a ton of great comics without Lovecraft, including Hellboy and BPRD. Couldn't agree more. Amen. Frequent contributor Camarillo Brio, one of these days I'm going to ask him how I'm supposed to pronounce that, writes, Conan, hands down, in nearly any format. One of the few characters I like as well in pulpy, low fantasy, straight adaptations, and respectful character study tales. I love Conan, and I think that that's probably the most successful example ever of a character from literature making the transition to comics. Yep, definitely. Zach Perkins says, Fables is riddled with such characters, but my favorite Fables reimagining is the Big Bad Wolf as the son of the North Wind and a chain-smoking werewolf. Let me me say that again more cleanly. He is a chain-smoking werewolf who is the son of the North Wind. <laughs> He's not the son of the North Wind and a chain-smoking werewolf. <laughs> uh, a close second would be Goldilocks as an insane tree-hugging homicidal maniac. That's the precise moment when I knew that Fables was going to be one of my favorite uh, comics of all time. i got to read this book. The second storyline of Fables that cast Goldilocks as this, like, super, like, Way too liberal for liberals, kind of uh, <laughs> eco-terrorist, or not even eco-terrorist, but yeah, hilarious, fun stuff. Finally, Dwight Brown writes in saying, Actually, the James Bond graphic novels of the 90s weren't bad. They were true to Fleming's novels and not the movies. I have to say, I've never read any of those James Bond graphic novels. I've seen them, uh, and I've always kind of been intrigued by them, but I've never taken the time to read them. Keith, have you? No, I have not read those or the Ian Fleming uh, non-graphic novels. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, really, my only exposure to James Bond is from the movies, but uh, it, might be worth, uh, it might be worth checking them out. There you go. As always, thank you all for your great responses. Be sure to check back soon for another all-new question of the week. And remember, you can now share your answers via our Skype account. Just give us a buzz at our Skype username. That's nerd, one word. Leave us a message, and we'll play your answer on the show. It will give you instant internet fame, and we know that's all you guys really want. If we didn't read your answer on the show, that just means there were way too many to choose from. That is going to change very soon when we debut an all-new format for the Answer of the Week audio blog. Stay tuned for that. For now, though, stay tuned for this week's answer if you want to hear all about our favorite literary comic book characters. Now it's time to practice our acceptance speeches, polish our gold statuettes of naked men holding swords, and try not to forget the little people. Then there are so many. 
It's the monthly Take a Look. It's in a book segment here on Two-Headed Nerd, where Joe likes to show off that he can sit still long enough to read a comic that isn't James Robinson's thousand-page omnibus Starman. <laughs> this month, we're looking at Global Frequency with Warren Ellis and an all-star lineup of artists like Tom Coker, Jason Pearson, and Lee Bermijo. Global Frequency is a worldwide rescue organization funded and founded by the enigmatic Miranda Zero. This mysterious agency is made up of 1,001 agents, all experts in the fields as diverse as axe-wielding, computer hacking, and parkour. Parkour before parkour was cool. That's right. (laughs) Joe, I have one question for you. Are you on the Global Frequency? Oh, I'm on it. I've got my weird phone right here. (laughs) We're using it to record this podcast. That's right. I love the Global Frequency. I I loved it when it came out uh, back in the early to mid-2000s, and I'm so glad that they collected it again. I think it's been out of print forever. Uh, It was originally released in single-issue form and then collected as two separate uh, trade paperback volumes, each reprinting, you know, six issues. Uh, This is just one solid chunk, all of it in one book, and it is a must-read for any Warren Ellis fan, for sure. I love the idea of the huge network of different specialists, uh, each with something completely different as as their their area of expertise, and it can be something as you know something as seemingly unimportant as being able to traverse city rooftops uh, <laughs> really, really well, uh, and then all the way up to you know master hackers and and people that uh, astronauts and that sort of thing uh, i just i love this book i love a lot of the concepts introduced joe you're absolutely right there are some great ideas here uh you, as you said there are specialists you mentioned some of them my favorite is the guy who just straight up murders people <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and that, he's just totally his- terrifying <laughs> That's his specialty, just to be mean. Uh, I I really liked how this series built from the first issue. I got to say, the first issue, as I was reading this, this was new to me. Uh, I was not familiar with it. Uh, So I have something to thank you for. I I, I owe you for this. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, And so I just, the first issue was, "Ah, okay, I get it. But boy, second, third, fourth, and by the fifth and the sixth, this got to be a book with me where I didn't want to finish it. I knew I had to get it done in time for our recording. Uh, to be able to say something halfway intelligent about it, but uh, it was—I didn't want to finish it. I didn't want to stop because I was just so taken with the series. It's just amazing, just again how it builds and how it gets more interesting, and it's so much fun. And I don't use that word loosely. So, sure, uh, absolutely. It is. Uh, it's not an anthology per se, but each issue is by a different artist, so yep. it's kind of an artistic spotlight as well as as a, a compelling story. Most of the artists, at least at the time, and even still, were kind of like the hot thing. Like Lieber mm-hmm. Mayho had yep. had kind of hit the scene. Jason Pearson was a, a big name back then, and then you had uh, guys like David Lloyd who uh, drew V for Vendetta. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, doing an issue. He did the parkour issue, actually. Oh and, wow! And um, you know Tom Coker and Gene Ha. You know these great artists, each uh, giving their own spin, and each issue is special in its own way because of that. I will say some of them hit a little bit better than others. Uh, <laughs> for as well regarded as David Lloyd is, I I didn't really care for the art in that issue. 
my particular favorite artistically was the Lee Bermejo issue oh, with okay. uh, the guy that had just seen too much and had to retire. Yes. But he was the only one there and he had to go in and it was just too much. The book, the story I liked was the one with the magician. They went to the this outpost in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah. And the whole town had seen like there was some Danish black metal or something like that. <laughs> and and uh, that that I just really love the art in that one. Uh, I love the Lee Her- Bermejo one. That was uh, creepy and disgusting and nasty oh, yeah. and just gross on top of gross. And I think that's the other thing too. Here is you didn't get the same story every time. Sometimes you got a horror story. Sometimes you got a mystery. Sometimes you got just something that was touching. Uh, and or action see- adventure. You oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. The the parkour one, action adventure. And then you got some. You know, there were some sexy stories in here as well. Uh, I was just really impressed with how Ellis really kind of, you know, as you say, maybe wrote to the artist's strength or also switched it up. That was the thing that was amazing to me is you weren't reading the same story every time. Yeah, I like I kind of I like to imagine that maybe he had a list of people he wanted to work with and he said, hey, Lee Bermejo, what kind of story do you want to do you want to draw? You know, mm-hmm. and then they worked on it like that. I don't know if that's how it went down, but that's kind of how it feels. That's how it, it feels like it came together because it's such a perfect blend of the of Ellis's writing and and the artist. Yeah, um, I have to say, like, I love Warren Ellis for all, all of his just for the sheer volume of ideas that that guy puts out into the world. Like the idea of the satellite that yeah 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 that fires gigantic carbon spears at the Uh, earth yeah yeah and they hit the ground so fast and so hot because of re-entry that it simulates a nuclear blast without radiation (laughs) you know in case they just need to thin the herd a little right 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 i'm like that's such an imaginative idea and i'm terrified that that's sort of close to reality (laughs) but uh this is a phenomenal book it's absolutely worth your time you wrote this in the notes, Keith, but I'm going to steal it. Uh, there was a pilot made for a TV yeah. adaptation that did not get picked up by the networks, The Fools. The Fools. The Fools. It, the short-sighted. Listen, I don't advocate downloading things illegally ever. Well, at least I don't say it out loud. <laughs> or but you can get that Global Frequency episode online. Yeah. Go get it and watch it because it's awesome. I will tell you it is a damn shame that there aren't more global frequency stories. Oh yeah. I could yeah. read I could read this book month in and month out and never get tired of it. Yeah. Uh, because it's so different. And I can imagine how you know it would have a limited shelf life because there are only he's only one man. You know, <laughs> like I don't expect him to be able to churn out 150 issues of this month in, month out like clockwork and have it be completely different every time i think the reason mm-hmm. this book is so good the reason it 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 is such a satisfying read is because each issue is a complete story Definitely. and it would not have that same feel with a, a format that lent itself to multiple issues i agree I agree uh, uh well i'm giving this one a buy it keith i assume your oh, vote is the big same time. big time buy it big wonderful time. wonderful That's it for this month's installment of Take a Look, It's in a Book. If there's a graphic novel or trade paperback that you'd like us to review, send your suggestions to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Take a Look. And don't make us regret asking you. Sort of break it it down like this. 
That is it for the Walking the Red Carpet episode of THN. If two nerds wondering how the hell Ben Affleck didn't get nominated for Argo is what you look for in your audio entertainment, you can find the show on Stitcher Radio or subscribe on iTunes where, if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and written review and help us get into the iTunes Top 10. Huge thanks to all our donors. If you'd like to help keep us in Vera Wang gowns and tasteful nipple pasties, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved TwoHeadedNerd.com. Is nipple pasties a redundant statement? No. Okay, good. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email. That's TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever. Don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, like the long-awaited return of Girl Meets Nerd by Casey Baum. Her husband may have abandoned the sinking ship, but she's the loyal one in the family. And remember to follow us on Twitter. That's at TwoHeadedNerd. And like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. If you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com's web-exclusive Not Safe for Weinstein's audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Pecos Bill creator Brian DuPont, who's been posting pages of the completely bananas comic book team-up between Iron Fist and The Watcher that he has been working on up to Twitter. Their bond is formed by their mutual love of kicking ass and wearing totally rad high collars. Word to you, Brian. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Keith, thanks for being here. It's been magical. Thank you, Joe. I look forward to another year of this and years to come. That's right. New permanent guest host. (laughs) Yay! New permanent host. Well, we'll just see about that, won't we? (laughs) Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this... Keith Silver. Later. I like to play with things a while. Before annihilation. 